We have such an exciting passage to work with in this session. So get your Bibles ready and we'll be looking at Mark chapter 3 verses 20 to 35. Uh, we finished last session talking about how Jesus appointed 12 disciples. And so here we have Jesus resuming um, his ministry and, and, and what he was doing. And so let's start reading from verse 20. Then Jesus entered the house and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, He is out of his mind. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, He is possessed by Beelzebul, by the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. Let's make a short note here. Jesus' ministry continues to gain momentum. The house he has entered is now packed to the rafters, so much so that he and his disciples, they can't even have a meal. People wanted to see Jesus. They wanted to listen to his teaching. They wanted to see uh, the signs and the wonders and the miracles that he would perform. And here, it seems like because of this momentum that Jesus is gaining, we have two different kinds of authorities who have come to stop Jesus or to very least limit what he is doing. We are already familiar with the religious leaders because Jesus has clashed with them on a number of occasions already. Uh, but here, it seems like things have gone to a whole nother level. These were teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem. Jerusalem is where uh, the council, uh, the, the the, the main group of them would gather together. So it would seem that they had gathered to talk about the Jesus situation. And they sent a delegation, an official delegation, to come to where Jesus is ministering in order uh, to limit him, in order to stop what he was doing. This represents an official authority that has come to question Jesus. Because the ruling uh, teachers of the law, they were seen as the governing group. Uh, for the Jewish people. And then on the other hand, we see that Jesus' family have come to take charge of him. This word means to seize power over, to become master of. They assume that Jesus has just simply lost it. He's going around gathering crowds. He's doing things uh, that are absolutely uh, uh, crazy. And so maybe they thought that uh, their family name was being tarnished. Uh, I, I don't really know. Maybe they thought that it was their responsibility uh, to look after a family member that, that seems to have gone off the rails. That's at least what they have said. Uh, and they didn't mention this, that Jesus is out of his mind. Now, the Greek word uh, of this sentence is also used to describe people's amazement. When something is so phenomenal that people don't quite understand it, they use the same phrasing. For example, when the Gospels speak of the crowds being amazed at Jesus' authority, at his signs, at his wonders, at his teaching, they use the same phrasing. And so... It's really interesting how different people react to the same scenario. There are crowds that are there to see Jesus, even support Jesus in what he is doing because of their amazement. And yet at the same time, there is this family of Jesus and they have come to stop him because of this very same amazement. 
It is so crazy. Uh, but, but maybe Jesus' family hears about all that Jesus was doing and they too are amazed. But they were amazed that Jesus was so audacious, that Jesus was so different to what they remember him being, that they sought to stop him, to limit him. And we're going to talk about family in a little bit more uh, detail in, in a moment. But I want to make the point right here, right now, that following Jesus, Jesus is spirit-led. We are supposed to follow his example. It, it sometimes means that those who are familiar with us, those who have grown up with us, uh, they, they, they should become amazed at where we are going, at, at, at the authority that we have because of the Holy Spirit. And when they see that we are doing things that are unfamiliar to them, some might come and support and, and to encourage us in all that we're doing. But there are others who will seek to limit us. This difference in our lives because of what the Holy Spirit is doing can lead to people reacting in completely different ways. And it's strange, but it's true that those who are most familiar with us sometimes becomes the greatest opposition to the change that Jesus is doing in our lives. We will read on and we'll see how Jesus deals with this challenge to his authority. But we're going to read on in verse 23. So Jesus called them over to him and began to speak to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. Truly, I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins at every slander they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin. He said this because they were saying he has an impure spirit. So the challenge to Jesus' authority was in the form of where is this power? Where is this authority coming from? Is it a clean authority? Is it a godly authority? Is it a satanic, a demonic authority? And uh, of course, as we read in this passage, the teachers of the law were saying that Jesus had a demonic authority to do the things that he was doing. How funny it is that the people who have studied the word of God their whole lives, the one uh, who saw Jesus growing up, would think that this power came from Satan. You know what? I think it would be great for us as Christians uh, it, uh, that, that, that I think it would be great for us as Christians and that we would truly believe that God can empower us to the extent that people would go, whoa, where is this coming from? Isn't that going to be cool if we can um, truly live in the authority God has actually already promised us? Jesus himself said that greater things than these shall you do. And, and a part of that, or, or maybe the whole of it, is because the Holy Spirit, uh, the Spirit of God himself is going to be living in us when we invite him into our lives. That empowers us to do the crazy things that Jesus has also done. And so the accusation that the teachers of the law gave was that Jesus was possessed by Beelzebul. Beelzebul is sometimes referred to as the Lord of the Flies. But there's a little bit more here that I want to unpack. Beelzebul literally means Lord of the House. Lord of the House. In the Hebrew language, this also has a wordplay on his name, and it means Lord of the Dung. 
Lord of the dung. Say, by saying that Jesus is uh, possessed by Beelzebul, is saying that Jesus' house is being possessed by the Lord of this house, but it's also possessed by the Lord of this dung. So all that Jesus was doing was coming from this dung, this, this filth. That's, that's in effect what they were saying. It, it was a very derogatory uh, statement that they were making. And Jesus' answer, therefore, about this whole idea of houses is not random. It is used to counter the claim that Jesus is possessed by Lord of this house. And, and, and this powerful imagery that, that is associated with this name. So Jesus says that a house that is divided against itself cannot stand. A famous statement that is used uh, by politicians as well. And it's pretty clear what he's saying at face value. Satan's kingdom being divided is a pointless thing. But Jesus drives home the point further. He says, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. Jesus was saying that the reason he could drive out demons is because he is the stronger man. The fact that these demons were being uh, chased out, driven out, demonstrates that Jesus has already limited and tied down Satan. This is... Uh, Jesus showing that he is the true Lord of the house. The Lord of the house has been bound, he has been limited, and uh, there is no more power. Uh, but Jesus is the victor, he is the new Lord of the house. He has plundered Satan's kingdom and he has won the victory. Christians, we should be excited when Jesus is explaining these things. He is showing to us, he is telling us that we don't have to worry about uh, the, the, the spiritual warfare because we stand in a place of victory. Jesus has already tied up the Lord of this house. The stronger man has come. I'm not saying that we won't face opposition. I'm not saying that Satan is not active anymore. But what I'm saying is that when we stand in the authority that Jesus gives to us, and he does say this, I will give you the, 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 the authority to trample on snakes and scorpions. And, and, and so and we see that Jesus has a victory. He chases out demons because Satan has already been bound. Come on, that is exciting stuff. However, there's another message that Jesus more subtly uh, delivers. Remember, he said that a house uh, divided against itself cannot stand. But then he also puts it out there that it's not Satan's kingdom that is divided. It's not because Satan is, is trying to stand against Jesus. But is it, Jesus is saying that I've already bound him. There's no worry about that. But there is this sense that Jesus is actually saying that Israel is a divided house. Remember, we talked about how Jesus is a dividing force in the previous message. And we see this again. There are crowds that are gathered to listen to him. They want to sit under his teaching. And at the same time, there are teachers of the law and his family that have come to oppose what he is doing. There is this division that is taking place. And so uh, we, 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 we need to understand that Jesus was actually talking about the fact that, hey, guys, you might be God's people. You were meant to be God's chosen people, but you are divided. And therefore, you won't be able to stand. 
There is a message that we need to receive as Christians living on this side of Jesus' life that we are the kingdom of God. We are part of the house of God, the family of God now. Are we united or are we divided? Are we going to stand or are we going to fall because of this division? And so uh, uh, Jesus also continues to make another statement. He says, truly, I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin. Jesus starts this statement by saying, truly, I tell you, this is important because it says there's an absolute truth behind this. This is not just a statement Jesus was making for that time and that day, that age. He's saying that this is a principle that carries through all of time. And he then states the principle. He states that all sin can be forgiven. <laughs> right? Hallelujah. Every one of our sins, no matter how terrible, no matter how crazy uh, you have lived, your sins can be forgiven. The thing that cannot be forgiven is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Now, what is this all about? Now, I grew up and there was talk that this blasphemy against the Holy Spirit was taking the Lord's name in vain and swearing using God's name. When you say the name Jesus Christ as a swear word, as a, as a swear statement, it is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. That's not going to be forgiven. Now, I want to be really clear that that is not what this passage is talking about. Taking the Lord's name in vain is a terrible thing to do. It's showing great disrespect to our God and our King and our Savior. Let's not do that. But that's not what this is talking about. You see, the word blasphemy is talking about slander. It is talking about rubbishing the name. And so as we can see in the context of this passage, what the teachers of the law have done is that they have blasphemed against Jesus. They have taken Jesus' name and basically said, and rubbished it by saying that this name is associated with Beelzebub. He is possessed by Lord of the dung. Everything that Jesus does is because it is from the filth that fills his soul. He is not one to be trusted. He is not one uh, that you should be coming under. And so that's what blasphemy looks like. When you blaspheme against someone, you rubbish their name, you take down their authority so that they are not able to operate. That is what you are trying to do. Do when you blaspheme but Jesus doesn't say blaspheming against him it says blaspheming against the Holy Spirit and this shows the timelessness of this principle Jesus knew that his time on earth was going to be limited it was going to be uh, for a set amount of time but then from there he promises us the Holy Spirit will be poured out on all mankind the Holy Spirit guides us the Holy Spirit teaches us the Holy Spirit enables us to come into salvation it comes to God to understand his heart, to understand how to receive salvation. By rubbishing the Holy Spirit's name, you are saying, I am not going to come under the authority of the Holy Spirit. And when you say that I'm not going to come under the authority of the Holy Spirit, then you are saying, I don't want the salvation that you offer. So it therefore, it therefore makes sense that you will not receive salvation. You will not receive forgiveness because you are choosing to stand apart from the one who forgives and brings about salvation. Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit looks like rebellion against what the Holy Spirit is wanting to do. It is uh, seeing the Holy Spirit as less than. It is, is working against, is moving away from the Holy Spirit. 
That's what uh, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit indicates. All right, let's just finish off uh, with verses 31 to 35. Let's read that. Then Jesus's mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him and they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and brothers? He asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. That, that sounds extremely rude, doesn't it? Your mother's waiting for you outside. Who's my mom? Now let's be clear. Jesus teaches us about honoring our parents. This isn't meant to be one of those moments where we go, you see, we don't have to care about our parents. We don't have to honor them. That is not what this is about. Jesus wasn't trying to be rude, but he was taking the moment to show us something more about houses and kingdoms. His family was waiting outside of the house. They were challenging his authority. They were saying that you are out of your mind. We need to take over we need to uh, overpower to seize you uh, and stop you from doing this work for him to walk out there would be leaving a house full of people who were willing to come under his authority now i'm not saying that we need to keep our authority no matter what and 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 to be disrespectful when someone is challenging our authority that's not what i am saying this is not about being self-seeking, um, but he identifies, Jesus identifies those in the room, those seated around him, those seated at his feet. And he says, these are the ones doing God's will. And so therefore, there is a real distinct community feel uh, to what Jesus was saying. We need to understand that as spirit-led Christians, there will be challenges to our authority. And, and, and sometimes this will come from family. But notice that Jesus didn't say that my family is my Father in heaven and the Holy Spirit. He could have said that. They are one with him. The, the Trinity, we talked about this. He could have referred to them as family. But no, no, no. He refers to those that are literally sitting in the room with him, wanting to sit under that authority, wanting to sit under the teaching that comes from heaven. And, and, and they wanted to listen. They wanted to do God's will. Jesus chooses to identify himself when there is a challenge of authority with those who would live according to God's will. There, there is this sense that when there's a challenge to our authority, it's so easy to want to isolate. So many churches, I'm just going to put this out there. So many churches have started because there was a challenge to a person's authority. And they go, well, you know what? I'm going to prove that I have authority by going to do my own work. That is not what kingdom looks like. Kingdom looks like understanding that, hey, there's a challenge to my authority, but I genuinely believe that I'm doing God's will. So I'm going to gather, I'm going to be around people that are doing God's will. When you receive threats to your mission, to what God is calling you to, remember to surround yourself with people who desire to do God's will. That is why there are these local church gatherings and at Lift Church, we, we have got plans. We are putting things in place to be able to gather again as a local church. And, and this gathering is for the purposes of encouraging to stand with one another, to edify and to build one another up. 
In effect, we learn about who we are by being plugged into the family of God. This is a theme that the Bible teaches again and again. Jesus dealt with the challenges to his authority by staying in God's family. So what do you do when you are being challenged? How do you react? Do you isolate or do you plug in deeper into a group of people that understand God's will and are trying to live it out? Well, make sure that you jump onto your live groups this week as we continue to discuss this question as well as the others that have come up from this message. I pray that you be blessed and and that this helps you uh, to continue in your journey with Christ.